Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our friend and this show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? <laughs> Nate, it's good to see you. It's always good to see you too, buddy. Yeah, well, this what we, week... What are we talking about today? This is a week of parables. Love parables. Let's do this. And and we've already touched on these parables a little bit. Uh, let's just dive right in. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. And the, the, the first thing I want to bring up is is the, the subtle differences you see in how each account is talking about what, what, what they're understanding these parables to be. In all these cases where you have Christ giving the parable of the sower, and then afterwards the disciples are coming to Christ and saying, well, what are you doing? And, and Christ gives them a little bit more context, you'll notice that there's little subtle differences in the different accounts. For example, in, in Matthew, when Christ says, here's what the parable means, and, and it's given to you to understand, he never says that the reason why it's given to you to understand is because they went and asked him. Where you go and read in the different accounts that we, we have in, in Mark and then also later on in, in Luke, the disciples say, what is the meaning of this parable? And then he says, unto you it is given. And you look at it and say, oh, unto those who are coming and asking it is given. You don't get that in Matthew. Matthew, it, it, he's saying, oh, he's giving this to us because we're, we're his favorites. And, and you got to understand, when we're reading the Bible, when we're reading the New Testament, we're reading these different accounts, we're reading what these writers understood from the situation. And, and if you're in a group of people that come and ask him and he says, unto you it is given, it's very easy to look at that and say, oh, unto us because we're special, because we're chosen, versus unto us because we're taking the time to come and follow up with them afterwards. Who, who knows what it is, but you're looking at people's interpretation of the events. And so I, I think it's interesting that you get a couple of different flavorings because of the perspective that the writer's bringing to this. And I think it's an important side note when we read the scriptures to recognize we're not reading what Christ is actually telling us, or we're not reading things from God's perspective. We're reading things from how people are understanding the events that are happening and what flavor they're bringing to the table as they write it. It's not purely objective. It's almost like it's probably better to have as many different perspectives as you possibly can so that a clearer picture is painted the more you read different people's accounts because certain things are going to be, you know what I mean, right? Uniform between the different accounts and some can just add insight and and, and perspective to the other accounts. Almost like maybe the more scriptures and the more testaments you have of Jesus Christ that are being given by inspired people probably help a situation and not less. I don't know. That that seems like maybe that that's a probably a pretty good uh, observation. Yes. So maybe... Maybe instead of rejecting more testaments of Jesus Christ, the world would be better off to accept as many possible accounts. And, te- like, and again, some of the accounts, like you said, might be totally bogus, but that's okay because you can probably know that pretty early on by like cross-referencing them with the other accounts that we do have at this point. Maybe the more information we can possibly get, the better to have more information to cross-check it with so that we can see a bigger picture with all of the various different accounts and not just one person's account. But that's just me. Well, and, and, and to drive your point even further, in all of the gospel accounts, it, it references Isaiah 
where it says that their their eyes that they that, that they do not see, their ears that they do not hear, right? What if we were to stop before we even have the New Testament and go back to Isaiah where the Lord tells him, go close their hearts, go close their eyes. And you're like, wait a second. It sounds like God's the one that's closing this. But then you have that brought up in reference to the parables. And he's saying, go, why do you speak in parables? I speak that because these people aren't willing to see with their eyes. They're, they don't want to change. Lest at any time they be converted. Converted is changed. They don't want to change. And we're going to see that even drilled further with the parables today. I'm giving them teachings. They're turning away and not looking, but but taking what Isaiah says back in the Old Testament, it kind of left you wondering, why is God doing this? But then you look at these stories and you're like, oh, I, I think I see this better. It's not that God's closing their eyes. They don't want to see. They're trying to bring something else to the table that's not part of what Christ is teaching, and, and they're not willing to change what they're doing. Killer, let's keep going. All right, let's go to the, so I'm not going to go into the parable of the sower. We went into that in a previous episode, but I do feel like it's important context to the very next parable. And so so just a quick reminder, when Christ is talking about sowing the seed, the seed is the word of God. And, and then we are like the ground and how we reci- decide to receive the seed is going to be the rocky soil versus the good soil versus the wayside, whatever the case may be. But that's, that's on us, right? How we're going to receive the seed. It's important because the very next parable that, that Christ tells is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And, and I feel like this one gets kind of an interesting interpretation because if I were to ask anybody today, what are the wheat and what are the tares? I, I think most people will tell you, that the wheat represent the good people and the tares represent the bad people and and the the wheat are going to be bundled up and gathered into heaven while the tares are going to be sent down to hell and and I would I would question why is it that we immediately assume that these that these plants are people when when just a second ago in the parable of of the sower the seed is the word of god and the people are the ground or how we receive it so I'm going to go back to the wheat and the tares, or excuse me, the not the wheat and the tares. No, yes, I'm going to go into the wheat and the tares, but I'm going to try to change the perception on that. Verse, let's see, Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read verse 23. But he that receiveth the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth forth fruit, bringing forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Another parable put he forth. You see how connected these are. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and soweth tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the house came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow seed in thy field from whence hath it then hath it tares. He then said unto them, an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, wilt thou that, that we should go and gather them up? And he said, behold, um, behold, but he said, nay, lest while we gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. So I had a paradigm shift on this. Do you have, do you have, do you have paradigm shift music, Nate? I mean, I could, I could find like the X-Files like theme song. <laughs> or I could just sing it. Okay, great. No, yeah, I have some paradigm shift music. I I think when we start <laughs> when we start thinking about people as being wheat versus tares, 
I think it leads us into some dangerous thinking. For me, this was a paradigm shift this week. Because if if I am a wheat, can can I all of a sudden become a tear? Or if I'm a tear, can I become a wheat? To, to say that we're those plants makes it seem like it's inevitable, like we're born into that w- world, right? God makes some people good, and he makes some people evil, and it doesn't matter what you do. You're either, you're either destined for the fire or you're destined for the barn, the, the heaven or the good. You can't change a wheat to tear or tear to wheat. And, and so that's, it's, it's kind of interesting. If we think of this parable in context of the last parable, and say that the seed is the word of God, and that Christ comes to the world, and he sows his word to the world, to us, the ground, and then the kingdom of heaven is like this, within the kingdom of heaven itself, you start to get somebody else sowing different seed. If the seed is the word of God, then this other seed, the tares seed, is going to be different ideas. And so I, I think of this as, the seed, the word of God almost being like scripture, right? But then somebody comes in and starts planting philosophies of men that gets mingled with the scripture into the, into the kingdom of God. Because Christ isn't saying, I'm going to liken this to the whole world. He says, I'm going to like this to the kingdom of heaven. Within the kingdom of heaven, I am going to start planting my truth. I am going to plant a flag. I'm going to teach you about the gospel. I'm going to teach you about what it means to follow me. And while I do that, somebody else is going to come into your heart and try to teach you other ideas, ideas that are going to be extremely similar to my ideas, but they're going to be different ideas. And, and you, they're going to try to get you to, to pay attention to those, to nourish those, because we are the ground. And, and what kind of seed are we going to allow to grow within us? Then it gives us a choice, right? Then the burden is on us to decide what we are going to cultivate when it's here. And then you look at it and say, okay, but why, why is he going to allow seed, weeds within his kingdom, right? Why is Christ not explaining the parables? Why is Christ acting like a stone that people can trip on and stumble on or they can build on? Because it's going to go right back to the people. You have agency. That's the whole purpose of the plan. I'm going to let you decide what you're going to cultivate within yourself. I'm going to let you decide what you're going to do and what you're going to pay attention to. And, and what you decide to do with that then becomes the plant. Because the weed itself or the tear itself, Christ didn't come in planting wheats and tares. He's giving us ideas and opportunities and how we decide to receive that and what we decide to do with those ultimately becomes the plants at the end of the at the end of the day. Is that I uh, very well stated. I think it's it is very good to um look at some of these parables that I think you're right we have kind of maybe culturally just kind of accepted as this is what it is and I having talked through this with you a little bit i'm i'm glad that there is at least another perspective on this that maybe maybe it's not necessarily just people that are going to be you know sifted out but um there and by the way there is plenty of people sifting though when when we read about like uh you know uh the olive um 
the olive trees and stuff like that, or you know what I mean, or whatever. Like the the allegories um, in Jacob of the the various vineyards and people, and you know what I mean. It's like this is this is not we're not we're not saying though that Christ definitely won't separate. You know what I mean? Like in within his kingdom, people. We're just saying that this parable isn't a hey, we're just going to go burn everybody and whatever. Um, for those for those people siftings, you'll probably need to read different different allegories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I mean, the thing is, is, I'm now really interested in actually going back and reading through the various vineyard allegories in the Book of Mormon and stuff now too, with this with this perspective in mind a little bit too. Do you know what I mean? Because then you almost kind of have to go like, oh, okay, cool. Is are those direct references to people too, or is are in those parables, are we also maybe a different part of that? And I, I don't know the answer. I'm just saying I'm excited to now go and reread through some of these other things with a little bit of that different kind of paradigm shift perspective in there. But the thing is, we talked about this last week too, though. Like, Jesus didn't come to quote-unquote just unify everybody. Like, he was, he was, he, he told us to become one, but we do that through separation, Right. And this is, I feel like, just another yet another example of even even if this is like, yes, you're going to have people sowing, sowing the wrong doctrine and the wrong ideas within the church itself. It's like, yeah, you again, I don't recommend doing this, but you jump on Twitter for 15 minutes and you're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And a lot of the the reasoning behind a lot of people is like, well, here's why we just everything's fine and everything goes and you should be able to do whatever you want and and not and not be judged for it and you should be able to do whatever you want and God's going to save you because if not like that wouldn't seem God wouldn't seem very Christ-like which I actually did see on Twitter this week and I was like I think God just was called not Christ-like and I about fell out of my chair but um but this is just yet another example to go no if you actually read all of the scriptures you will see that there are actually bad ideas and there are actually wrong ideas and things that go against the doctrine are going to be rooted out and and separated from good doctrine like i'm sorry like that's just the fact of the matter is is that if you believe in christ if you follow him if you do everything you can to try to understand what he was doing separation was a massive 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 part of that judgment was a massive massive and will continue to be a massive massive part of this i mean we're, we're, we're our whole thing is there will be a final judgment you know like yes jesus is the one to judge righteously heavenly father is the one to, it's it's not for us to it's not for us to condemn people right it's not for us to to be the ones to do that but to also pretend though that there isn't doctrine and that there isn't correct ideas versus non-correct ideas even within the church is, is just silly well and you said uh you know saying it's not our our place to condemn people going back to this parable it's not the people in the end that are condemned right it's what what the people decide to cultivate that gets condemned in the end it's the wheat or the tares and if the people are the ground what you decide to do with with the seed what you decide to nourish what you decide to grow that's what gets condemned, which which makes it a little bit interesting. And and talking about maybe some of these ideas that that seem so close, 
I, I want to go Matthew chapter 13, verse 12. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. And Christ is, is giving this as an answer to why he's speaking in parables. And, and I think that there is a sense of equality than in in the mindset of the world today and and maybe some question in what equality means in christianity in right. in christianity in in i don't know maybe even in the world at large and we think of what you know everybody has to have the same or everybody has to have it this and and christ is saying i give this so that there's inequality and and there's not this and you're like wait a second what and 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 do we not have the law of consecration that everything should be should be given to the Lord, and then the Lord's going to try to do this to to distribute and give out that we should help those that don't have in the sense of bringing everyone up to maybe the same level is is it is it is is that equality is sure, but even then like that's it's the, in the law of consecration. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is all things are given to the Lord, and then the Lord gives that out people according to their needs, which mm-hmm. by the way. Needs are not equal. Yes. Like, the, uh, my, I have very different needs than you even, and we are basically the same demographic and live a block away from each other. But do you know what I mean? It's like even our needs are not equal, quote unquote. They're not the same equal. You know what I mean, right? But look at this even from like a spiritual standpoint too, right? Like even even a lot of people's spiritual needs aren't always equal or the same, right? We're all in very, very, very different places, even spiritually, right? And I guess I'm just saying it's like this idea of equality across the board. Again, it's just, it's a nice talking point. It's a nice thing to say when you're trying to argue with somebody that has something that you want, I feel like, you know what I mean? But like this, it's just, it's not supported at least with what you think it's going to be supported with. And when you read through the New Testament, you don't see peace, love, unity, equality. I'm sorry, you just, at non-judgment, everything goes. You just don't see that in the Scripture. So you can believe that. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. But don't, uh, don't, argue, it, uh, with, don't argue with me from, from a scriptural standpoint. That's all I'm saying is the Scriptures don't say those things. What you just read is the is by the way the whole point of all of this thing which is if you put in personally the work to become saved I'm going to continue to give you more and more and more. Jesus then saying I am mercifully by the way not going to continue to put more and more and more light and knowledge on people that don't seek it that are fighting against it. That's a merciful thing by the way too, right? Like Jesus in his mercy is not putting that responsibility on, on people that are fighting against it or, or going a different path. So, so going off what you say, it might not sound very God-like. Maybe it doesn't sound very Christ-like for God in the parable of the talents to give one ten, or what is it, one, one five, one three, and one one, right? That doesn't seem very Christ-like to be, to be discriminating and, and pouring that out differently. And okay. then that's the, see, okay. I'll so I'll let you finish. To me, that's the epitome of Christ-like. But continue, right, right. And and then when when they when the guy with five doubles it to ten, and the guy with three doubles it to six, and then the guy the one that buries it, and he takes that and gives it to the guy that already who's the has most ten. Responsible. Who's the mo- who's? <laughs> to me, to me, this this is why I'm saying. And dude, anytime people want to argue about this, I first of all just I'm done arguing. I mean, uh, I've. 
because you realize, dude, you don't change people's minds by arguing with them. But if somebody in good faith says, how can you, how can you think that Jesus wouldn't be like, I don't know, like the ultimate communist or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> Trust me, don't go on Twitter is all I'm saying. But, but the point I'm making is, is you just go, well, because I can show you parable after parable after parable where it's the exact opposite of that, where it is, I'm going to give responsible people more responsibility because, by the way, human beings are different. Each individual human being has the capacity to to learn very different than the person sitting next to him. Like, believe it or not, human beings are incredibly different and nuanced. Maybe a one-size-fit-all thing doesn't work for everybody, right? Thank goodness, by the way, that Jesus is then, in his parables even, reiterating, I'm not going to put the same thing on all of you. I'm going to I'm going to speak in parables so that for it at bare minimum if you want to listen you can hopefully at least get something out of this interesting story. For those of you that are willing to actually put in the time, I'm going to give you more. Like dude, the parable of the the parable of the talents is literally just a, the parable of the parables. That's what it is. Yeah. I'm going to give to you I'm going to give to you all money. Some of you are going to have a bigger responsibility and a bigger stewardship than the others. And by the way, you cannot continue to overlook this idea that when the one is taken from the one that clearly, by the way, there was a reason he was only given one, right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason that the dude that was given one was only given one mercifully, because had he gone out and buried five of them, he probably would have been beaten by the, you know what I mean? By (laughs) when he got back, he's like, really? I gave you all this money and you buried all of this money? Okay, actually, no, you are going to hell. You know what I mean? Like that's maybe you take the parable out at that point and just condemn him. All I'm saying is there's a reason the one was given one. And there's a reason that that one was taken away and given to the one with 10. Now, I've I feel like I have a fairly strong opinion on what this means to me. I'm not going to tell you what it means to you, but please at least consider that when you next time you talk about this parable and be like, oh, no, this is just the talents that if you don't sing in choir, you're going to get your, your good voice taken away. That's not what this is about. Stop, we got to stop, stop teaching kids this in primary. This is just about talents. If you don't dance enough, you're going to get your dancing talent taken away. Get out of here. This is about money. Responsibility. It's about responsibility. This is about stewardship. This is about things of value, by the way. This is about things... That, that you're responsible to continue to add value to. This isn't just a sing and choir parable. And it's the anti-Jesus is a communist parable. I'm sorry, but like that's, that's I'll say it. It's the anti that. It's not that. It's the exact opposite of that. And that is be responsible with what I've given you and I'm going to give you more. You're not responsible with what I give you. I'm taking it away. Yeah. Am I missing anything no, here? No, I love this. I, 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 you're on a roll, Nate. I, I like this a lot. And the wheat and the tares. I mean, to take this right back to where what, what spurned this conversation, right? When, when you take these seeds that seem so similar, that look the same, and you plant them, and they're planting plants that look the same, sometimes these ideas, they're not made to obviously stick out like something that's wrong. That you're like, oh, thou shalt not kill. I mean, this one's teaching me to kill. I'm, I'm going to avoid this. They're, they're trying to, inti- um, what's the, what's the? Imitate. Imitate, impersonate. They're trying to look like this is the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, there's no sustenance to it. It's, it's hollow. It's, re- it's missing something. And, and can be blown away with just like the slightest wind, right? Like, isn't that like the, the set, you separate we from tears right by with a big uh, fan or whatever? 
Uh, the chaff and the seed, definitely. I don't know about the wheat and tares. I thought when you chopped them, I don't. I don't know Maybe anything so. about. I don't know anything about tares other if than you, when you harvest them. I thought that that's. I think that's right. kind of the chaff. But anyways, let's keep going. Yeah. Because by the way, a good idea should be able to stand up to to a little bit of pushback. You should be able to defend your idea. And and by the way, I don't even mean this religiously. I mean this politically. I mean this socially. Whatever. The best way to check to see if what you've planted is good or not is actually put a little bit of resistance against that. See, yes. Like, don't be, and and this is the thing, too. If we're getting religiously, like, I'm at where I'm at because luckily I have been able to put my ideas up against things that push back against those ideas and things that challenge those ideas. And it's, and by the way, that's not a fun and easy process all of the time, right? But, but a good seed, a good tree, a good plant is going to be able to have the wind push against it without it just blowing away, right? You want to know if an idea is bad? Well, it probably doesn't stand up. It probably doesn't stand up with a little pushback. And then it's, you can do, then you can clear the, you can clear the wheat and the tear. You can separate the wheat and the tears yourself. You don't even have to wait. You can get rid of that stuff. Hopefully clearing up some space to plant something new or worthy of planting too, which is something we're going to talk about later today, even in another parable, right? Absolutely. In fact, we, we should probably get there. Um, just to put a fine note on what you're saying. Christ tells them to wait. Don't don't go separating things out, right? Give them a chance to figure this out. And maybe we do cultivate a few tears in our life when we're trying to figure this out. We all do. We all do, right? <laughs> like we all I do. I've had bad ideas that I've needed to at times even uproot and get rid of, but I've also had some that just like with a little bit of like intellectual pushback go, that doesn't work. And you and it and then it's okay and then you clear it and you move on. But we all do that, Jason. But we get judged by the fruit we produce. That's right. And 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 Christ isn't saying you are definitely a wheat and you were definitely a tear and you're not going to be able to change and 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 you 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 need to change. It's it's what we decide to cultivate in this life and he gives us the opportunity to figure it out. And there's more room to plant good plants if we're on our own clearing out or with the help of Christ and repentance and all of these things clearing out space of all of the stuff that's just taking up space, right? Yeah. It's like if we're going to be judged by our fruits, I guess according to this parable, we should probably clear out as much possible space in that garden to plant as many good plants as possible, to plant as many fruit-bearing plants as possible, fruit-producing plants as possible. And you, and you know what? That's probably time, right? When you're talking about clearing up space in the garden to to raise as many good plants as possible, it's probably what time we decide to give to what mm, ideas, right? right? If we're sitting there dwelling and thinking about this and this becomes our attention and our focus, what fruit is this going to produce? That's how we cultivate the seeds that are planted. Then we got to figure out what seed is good and what seed is bad. There was a really great talk on that at conference where, again, it's like sometimes we let our, we let our like worldly causes dominate our time and attention. They take away from the things we should be doing as our spiritual causes. Totally agree with that. I think you're right. It's 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 what we choose to, it's what we choose to occupy our time and efforts towards. I'm with you. And and there could be a lot of things out there that that appear very good. Yes. Very good. But I guess what what's the What's the measure that, that we should measure it against to find out if it's a weed or a tear? And I think ultimately, is this bringing us closer to Christ or is this bringing us further away from Christ? And Christ said it really well himself when he says, any who gathers, he's, he, well, first he says, anyone who is not for me 
is against me. And anyone who is gathering but not in my name is actually scattering. Right? And and so maybe we get caught up in these good causes. And and if that if that brings us to Christ doing that good, then 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 we're in the right we're doing all right. Right? But if if we're getting so caught up in this that it's actually pulling us away from Christ and distracting us from him, then we know that this this seemingly good thing, this thing that looks like it's really good, that looks just like a wheat, is actually a tear that we've been going down. Well stated. Let's keep going. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears into Luke. And and there's some more parables here that I want to talk about, but there's a little bit of context and and that I think that we're missing. Okay. So Luke chapter 13, and I'm going to read right at the beginning. There were present at the seasons some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? So Christ is, Christ is here and he's telling his parables and they, they, they come and they ask him this question about these Galileans. And I, and I don't think most of us understand who these Galileans are or what this even has to do with the story. And what in the world is Pilate doing sacrificing them with the sacrifices? Was, was, was Pilate sacrificing sacrifices too? Like, is this some sort of pagan ritual? What, what, what's happening with the story? So to give you a little bit of context, there is a guy up in, in Galilee, which ironically enough, right, this is where Christ is coming from. And, and his name is Judas. And he's going to be another Messiah-like figure. He's, he wants to overthrow Rome and set Israel free, give them their independence. And he's telling all of his followers that anyone who registers for the Roman census and, and, and pays taxes to the Romans needs to be punished. And, and his followers are going and burning down houses and stealing livestock and punishing people up in the Galilee region simply for registering for, for Rome for their census and, 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 and for paying taxes to Rome because he wants their independence. So he's got this insurrection building. Now, Pilate, he's down in Jerusalem. He doesn't have much to do with the Galilee. So, so how does he get involved? It's interesting when Judas's followers, and, and I say Judas, his name's Judas, that's the Greek version, but but I think there's something here, there's something interesting about, because we see the name Judas pop up a few times, right? Here we have this this false Christ, this antichrist who's named Judas, but isn't it neat, it, maybe neat's the wrong word for this, so neat. <laughs> isn't it interesting that of all the 12 apostles, all, the, the one that's named Judas is also going to be the one that betrays him. And, and and I think it's interesting because this name Judas is extremely popular because they come from the tribe of Judah. Judas is the Hebrew Judah. It, it's just the Greek version of it, right? And and it's the tribe of Judah that at the end of the day is going to sell out Christ. It's 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 not just about a man named Judah. It's about the tribe of Judah where Christ comes from that that's going to sell him out. And and I think there's something bigger there with that. But going back to this man, he's he's got his followers and it's the same it's in fact he starts about 6 BC, right? He's building a lot of fame before Christ even comes and and stoking up his followers. And these guys head down to Jerusalem for the Passover. And when they get there, Pilate's waiting for them. 
And when they're at the temple and they go to offer their offerings, he orders the soldiers to kill them. And so they are slain in the temple when they're going there to worship. And that's what it means by their blood is mingled with the blood of the sacrifice because they were slain at the temple with, with Passover at the same time that all of these lambs were. And I, and I think there's some symbolism there too. You think about the tribe of Judah, Judah's followers being killed on Passover I, I think I think Jews in general, the tribe of Judah, has been almost like a sacrificial lamb for much of the world. They've gone through a lot of bad things to to help redeem the world, and 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 their burden is to carry this. I don't know the 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 testimony of God to everyone else. Christians believe the God of the Jews, but but anyways, he he murders them there. This does a couple of different things. One, it gives you different perspective on what Christ is doing. When he comes in for Passover and and he's raising up chaos by changing or chasing out the money drivers and throwing over tables and, and whipping people, he's doing it under the watch of Roman guards who are actually going to kill people for 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 insurrection. And and so the courage Christ has to do that right under the eye of the Romans who are going to kill people, it, it, it makes it interesting. Why aren't the Romans killing Christ for, for, for causing chaos? Because one, Christ isn't rising up against Rome. He's rising up against Jerusalem. He's, he's almost taking the Roman side in a sense, like you guys need to be better. You guys are. So, so it's, it's interesting. It, it just gives different context for, for when Christ is doing this at the temple, what's actually happening in some of these other events. It also provides some context when people ask him, what about taxes? Should we be paying taxes? Because that's an odd question to be asking the Savior, unless you know that there's another Savior-like person from Galilee who's saying, if you pay taxes, we're going to come burn your house down, right? So what, what's your stand on this? So I, so I think it's interesting context to, to have that background as we get into these stories. Uh, verse 2, Jesus answering them said, Suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered these things? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you all likewise will perish. And then he tells a different story. Christ responds and says, Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew, think ye that they were sinners above all the men that dwelt at Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, and he repeats himself, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So they brought up an instance of these people that, that were rising in insurrection and were killed and saying, were these guys sinners? And Christ responds with an instance of what, what fault do these guys have at the pool of Shalom when a tower falls on them and dies? They weren't, they weren't insurrectionists but yet they perish too. Whether, whether you think they had it coming or they didn't, they all actually did have it coming. And, and not only do they have it coming, but you have it coming if you don't repent. There's, you're, you're all going to suffer. And, and what he's prophesying of here, Christ dies in the, in the year 79 AD, Rome comes and destroys all of Jerusalem. Whether the innocent people that had nothing to do with it, like you were at the Pool of Siloam, or whether they were the insurrectionists that, that poked the bear long enough to where Rome comes in and starts killing them, all of them die. Christ is warning them. If you don't change, things are going to be bad for everyone, the guilty or the innocent. Things need to be shaken up. And it's not that these people are exceptionally wicked or that they're doing this. It's that as a, as a people, things need to change. I don't know. Does that... 
Awesome. I had no idea about any of those things. Okay. Adds a lot of context. Thank you. It, it adds context, and I think it's important because this next parable doesn't seem like it makes any sense unless you understand it with that context. I'm, I'm going to go. So he says, verse 6, He spake also this parable, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone and uh, this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after thou, um, that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And that's the end. He doesn't provide any context. He doesn't explain this parable. And and how many times has this parable ever been quoted? I don't, I don't know that this is a parable that's very well talked about. I, I don't think a lot of us even understand what's going on here. I mean, I, Help us out. Help us out. So I think we have to understand this parable in context of the events that just happened, what led up to it, right? Here you have these people that were destroyed, and here Christ is prophesying that all of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. I, I think Jerusalem is this fig tree. And, and Christ says, there's the Lord of the vineyard. How many times have we heard the Lord of the vineyard, right? It, it's, it's very common. People understand, they get this. This is God, and his vineyard is Israel. And, and if God has a vineyard and his vineyard is Israel and, and, and we're all these vines, right? Any vine that's on the true branch is going to bring forth fruit. I mean, this is all familiar to us. Let me ask you this question. What in the world is a fig tree doing in the vineyard? Vineyards are for grapes and you're going to be pressing these and you're going to be making grape juice or wine or whatever the case may be. Why is there a fig tree in the middle of his vineyard? And, and Christ is telling him, this fig tree is not only just sitting there in an area where maybe it's not supposed to be, but it's not being fruitful either. It's not providing any sort of value. And not only that, but he says, these three years. And, and you take that for what it's worth. Maybe you look at it, it's been 300 years since Malachi the prophet, and, and each year is representing 100 years or whatever the case may be. I look at this and say, you've got these Sadducees. You've got these Pharisees. You're going to have the Essenes, the Jews that, that go over with the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you're going to have the Zealots. And all of these groups, these Jews as a, as a people, are trying to be a different tree than what Christ had planted. It, it, go back to the wheat and the tares. They're fostering the wrong seed. And, and they think that they can be fruitful by, by adapting these, these different principles. And at the end of the day, they're not producing any fruit. And, and if you're not producing any fruit, then you're not a wheat. You're a tear, right? So here's Jerusalem trying to do what's right, if you will, but they fostered the wrong thing. And here comes God among them, their God, the one that they supposedly listened to through the entire Old Testament. I mean, I guess you could qualify that. <laughs> they were supposed to have listened yes. to the entire Old <laughs> Testament. He's living among them. And, and here's, the, here's the seed that they're supposed to be in, in adopting. They're supposed to be a vine. They're supposed to be vineyards. And, and yet they obstinately choose to be a fig. They're not going to change. And it's not just that they're a fig tree. They can't produce fruit without him. And so the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe this thing out. And, and you get this intercession among them, this atonement, like, hold off. I'm going to help them. I'm going to try to dung 
around it. I'm going to try to do whatever I can to try to help this tree. And I look at this as Christ calling his 12 apostles and calling his 70 and giving them the instruction, don't go to the Samaritans, don't go to the Gentiles, go to this house. And, and I look at this as Christ telling them when they say, what about the Galileans that died? And him saying, I'm warning you, every one of you is going to die. You're a fig tree. You've got to produce fruit. Things need to change or else it's not going to happen. And so the, the, the parable doesn't end, right? You just hear him saying, I'm going to go dung about it and we'll see how it is. It's open-ended at this point in time because Christ still hasn't finished the atonement. The Romans haven't come. It's like saying it's in your court, Jerusalem. You want to be this fig tree, produce fruit or, or the end's coming. And, and we unfortunately know the end of this story. The Romans do come, and all of Jerusalem is destroyed, the, the guilty with the innocent, the ones at the pool of Shalom versus the ones that were trying to raise insurrection. I mean, I also like what you said between the lines, too, which is there is you repent or you're going to be killed. And it's like you, in context of this, these people are being killed, and then you say, well, we're all going to die. Hopefully in the next life we've repented so that we don't have to suffer like eternal separation, right? Like hopefully hopefully that's the that's still kind of the between the lines symbolism that Jesus is talking about here too is you don't need to worry about death. You need to worry about doing the right thing. And it even kind of goes back to earlier when Jesus is healing people. What is what is he what is he now beginning to say almost like, like every time? It's like your sins are forgiven. Everybody's like, yeah, I know, but we want him to walk. It's like, we're all going to die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it sucks not being able to walk while we're here. I totally get that. But like, what I just gave you is way better than that. You know, your sins are forgiven, right? That's, take that and be like, thank you. Oh, and also you can walk. Sweet. That's just, that's the cherry on top at this point, right? Because we're all going to die. We can raise Lazarus from the dead, but he's going to die again. He's going to die again, you know? And that's, so it's funny that you, it's funny that you, you you said that thing because that is those specific words it's it immediately kind of just set off like the the little you know the light bulb bing like wait a minute isn't that kind of what all of this is about which is act right because you're going to die anyways whether it's under roman rule whether it's under you just living out your old age yes death is inevitable act right so that when you live again because of me you're in a good place. You're you're you've you're you're in good standing. So, anyways, that's that was just kind of a funny little. When you said that, I was like, well, this is a great point. We were talking about. Nah, never mind. I'll, I'm not gonna. I'll tell you about that in the car ride later. <laughs> okay. Let's keep going. Okay. But I do have a funny story I need to tell you later. Okay. I'll. I'll, I'll it's not for the podcast though. I'll, I'll remind you then. All right. Let's keep going. Okay, and I I, I do like these. I do like these little, maybe maybe we call them the lesser known parables. These these little yeah. obscure ones because they're the ones that people like me we usually read past them because we so don't get them and there's no explanation, and there's so many other juicy parables in there that that we do kind of get right. There's a doorway for us to really get deep down. I'm admitting I'm one of these people that I I don't even remember this being in there until we read it again. Yeah, I I don't think we notice it, and it's so cool because. So many times he gives us the explanation, but so many times he leaves it up to us and here's our opportunity. What are we going to do with it and how do we learn it? Uh, and, and there's a parable from last week 
that that I I almost kind of want to rope in at the same time with this one if if it's all right because we Please. we didn't have enough time to talk about it. It's another one of these lesser known parables, and I hope I'm not spoiling this for any of you guys listening at home. I mean, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah, do we need to do spoiler alerts. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't need to start doing spoiler alerts. I mean, you've had—I mean, people have had two thousand years to figure this out. You—you you can still take your own interpretation to this, but—but but I do like the the parable of. It, it seems like it makes zero sense, but how many of you guys remember the parable of the guy who goes to his friend's house in the middle of the night and asks for bread? Because he's got a stranger that came to his house. I guess it's not even a stranger. He has a friend that came to his house that he's trying to get bread for, but he doesn't have bread. So he's going to his friend's house to try to get bread, knocks on the door, and and the friend's going to say, go away. I'm already tucked in. I've already got all my kids tucked in. I'm not getting out of bed to give you bread. And you're like, Where, where's the Lord going with this? What, what sense does this make? And the Lord says, he's not going to get out of bed because you're friends. But because you need it, he's going to provide this for you. And and you look at the lengths that this man is going to, going and in, encumbering people in the middle of the night because his friend needs bread. He's willing to go this extra length to try to find it for him. Where does this all fit in with, with what Christ is teaching? Christ wraps this up by saying, ask and you shall receive, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Um, excuse me, asking you shall receive, seek, and you shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. When we are coming to Christ, it's not just because we're friends that he's going to be giving this to us. It's not just because we casually ask him for some bread that he's going to say, oh yeah, let me, let me, let me go wake up my friend at 2 a.m. to get bread for you. It's because we need it. And and, and I think we've all had those moments of need. They, they say there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole, right? Or yeah. those, <laughs> those times when we desperately need it. I think the challenge is how do we feel that need when everything feels good? And, and I think that's why Christ is saying it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven or, or it's woe unto those who stay all is well in Zion. When you don't have, like you mentioned this, Nate, that, 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 opposition that kind of helps you sort the wheat from the the tares or the chaff from yep. the seed. You you almost, you, you need to feel that sense of need, that burden, in order for us to come to the Lord desperate enough that the Lord's willing to go the extra mile to go wake up somebody in the middle of the night for us. It's because we need it. And, and I think that's a good question is, how do we find that need? You know, when Christ is talking about the 99 that he's going to leave to go find the one because that one desperately needs him, and I've come to heal the sick, not the well. Well, sometimes we feel like we're well when we're really sick, and how do we become aware of that sickness, and how do we add that depth to our prayers to where it's not just a casual conversation we're having in the middle of the day, but this is like, I need bread in the middle of the night kind of conversation. And and I don't know that I always have the have that need. And I don't know that I have the answer to that question. I think that's, you know, maybe something as, as, as listeners or as thinkers as whatever time you have, how do we find that need in our life and how do we add that desperation, that depth to, to our requests? Cool. Let's keep going. Okay. Going back into Luke 13, there's a couple of other parables here. Um, I, I think I'm just going to, quickly mention two of these, Nate, and, and then maybe we can wrap this up unless you have other thoughts. He he does talk about the, the parable of the mustard seed, and he likens the kingdom of heaven to it, and he plants this little seed, and this thing grows up, 
And and the reason I bring this up is Joseph Smith actually had some real interesting comments on this when he talks about the restoration of the kingdom back on earth in in times today. He says the kingdom of heaven is like this little mustard seed. It's going to start out small. And obviously it does when you're talking about six people gathered in a room, and yet it's going to fill the earth. And and for him to say that this was going to fill the entire earth, and, and you look at the progress of, of the church today going through all the world, it's it's definitely grown into a much bigger tree than I think a lot of people visioned it was going to be back then. But he made an interesting comment about the birds that come and, and nest on the branches. And he says that, the birds that are going to come are like the spirits that are going to be visiting from the other world as our hearts turn to the, the hearts of our, our, our parents and the parents' hearts turn to the hearts of the children and this genealogy and creating this link that a lot of people on the other side of, of the world, the, the death, these, these birds almost as spirits, like the Holy Ghost is the stuff, are going to be coming and dwelling among us and helping link the hearts of the children and the, uh, the, the parents together. So I thought that was just a, a little bit of an interesting insight on that. Last one is the parable uh, that I want to talk about is the parable of the, the woman with the leaven. And, and he says that she's going to take that leaven, uh, let's see, verse 20. And again, he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till, all, um, till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And again, he doesn't say much about this. But, but look at how he follows this up. Verse 23, Then said, unto, uh, said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter it and shall not be able. When once the matter of the house is, uh, when, excuse me, when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door and you begin to stand without and to knock to the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall say, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. And ye shall begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast uh, taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of our God, and you yourselves thrust out. And ye shall come, and they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are the last which shall be first and they which first shall be last. And I think that's the context of this leaven. And and leaven is yeast, right? It's it's what makes the, the, the bread rise and it's it's life. And and I look at the leaven almost as, as the spirit. Or even the people you look at, you look at, there's such an... There's an interesting, there's an interesting TED talk, and I think I'll post a link to this on the on the website on this article where a bread maker talks about making bread. And and he says that there's very different levels of teaching. There's the literal, and then there's the 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 representative this this symbolical level, and it goes through these different levels. And he's like, I'm going to tell you the very physical level of how bread is made, but then you can see some of these different depths as he does it. And he talks about the yeast that's alive and the grain and the, the, the that's alive. And what do you have to do for the grain that's alive in order to make bread? You have to harvest it. You have to kill it. And you, you harvest this grain and you mash it up and you take this yeast, which again takes this dead dough and makes it alive again. It breathes life into it. 
But then when you put it in the oven, the yeast bursts and explodes and, and it dies again so that you can create this bread that you eat and now it gives you life. And this whole life comes from death process. You talk about this. I look at Israel who, who has to die at the hands of the Babylonians, who has to die at the hands of the Assyrians, who has to die at the hands of, of the Romans. And this death bringing life and yielding life process, and you look at Christ who has to die to, to give us life. And, and through these events, you read about small groups of people that are almost like yeast are pulled away from the dough and, and, and put somewhere else, and, and the gospel is spreading, and, and these Gentiles that are going to get the gospel, you, you see it with Lehi leaving Jerusalem. You're going to see it with this small group of, of Jews that survive here and go out to the world and the Gentiles and Christianity starts to spread. And, and this process of God saying, I'm not just interested in a small family. I'm interested in trying to gather the whole earth. These are all my children. And I'm going to take whatever yeast I can get, whatever life, whatever spirit I can get, and I'm going to bring it and, and, and spread it and put it over here and try to get these people to come follow me. Then he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. When he comes and teaches first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, we should expect that at the end when he comes to teach again, that it will be first to the Gentiles and then to the Jews. And, and, and so you see this, there's a lot of depth here and there's a lot of significance here. And, and I don't know that, I, that I'm even giving it justice at all, but it, it's just something that's, that's great to think about. No, that's awesome. I totally think you're doing it justice. Man, great stuff today. Um, anything else that we need to go over? No, I th- I think I I I feel I feel good with where we're at. Me too. Me too. Well, Jason, I was, as always, I appreciate how much time you put into these things and your preparation. And it's always fun to learn new things um, myself while we're going through this stuff for the podcast. Um, we really appreciate you, um, listeners, for listening and sending us your um, questions and your comments. We always appreciate the feedback. Thank you for continuing to send us you know nice little notes and stuff like that but also really thank you for asking us great questions that make both Jason and I kind of have a better idea of even some things to prepare and hopefully we're we're answering all of the questions you send in we try to stay on top of that stuff but we really do appreciate you listening if you do have questions or comments you can get a hold of us um, at the email address of hi at weeklydeepdive.com um and we will uh, we'll keep trying to do what we can to answer all those questions. Um, if there's nothing else for this week, um, wait, what are we talking about next week? You had, you had to ask. I did. I had. Never mind. I'm not even gonna. Do, I see. The thing is, is like I think I've actually su- it's like subconsciously Matthew. stopped asking. I think I've subconsciously stopped asking because I know that we never have the answer. The gospels. But then I was just like, wait, am I forgetting something to close this thing? Okay, so we're talking about Jesus. the gospel. We're talking about we're Jesus. Talking about Jesus. Perfect. All right. Well, then until next week. See ya.